Well, go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. And uh, we are going to look tonight at the passage that we ended with last week as we kicked off our series uh, that we're calling The Salt of the Earth, Impacting Others with the Gospel. And uh, we looked at, uh, very appropriately, I didn't realize the theme of, uh, I, I shouldn't say I knew it was coming, but I didn't make the connection that this week's theme of Kids Camp is the story of Jonah. And we looked at that last week uh, and how he wasn't the salt of the earth, how he failed to be the salt of the earth. He didn't have a heart for the lost like God had compassion for the Ninevites and, 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 and even Jonah. He had compassion for Jonah. Uh, even though he was a knucklehead, God kept being merciful and gracious to Jonah. And, uh, and yet Jonah was not willing to pass that same grace and mercy on to the Ninevites. And so we, we were talking about how we need to have the heart of compassion, God's heart of compassion for lost people, which the whole book of Jonah is about the fact that Jonah lacked compassion and he was a representative of the nation of Israel. They lacked compassion. They were to be salt of the earth. They were to be the light to the Gentiles, and they failed to do that. And, uh, and so Jonah was an example. So he started with a, a bad example, if you will, how, how not to be the salt of the earth. Uh, don't be that guy. And, uh, and, and so uh, at the end of the sermon, if you remember, I talked about, hey, there was another prophet that God sent, uh, not unlike Jonah, and this prophet uh, did share God's heart of compassion for lost people, and that was who? His son, Jesus Christ. And uh, I read this passage in, in uh, Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 through 38, and basically made the statement that where Jonah failed, Jesus succeeded. And uh, Jesus is the, the, the greatest example uh, in the Bible of God's heart for the lost, because Jesus is God's son, but he is also God. And so let's look at really tonight the heartbeat of Jesus or the heartbeat of God. Well, what is God's heartbeat? Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. Seeing the people, Jesus felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Father, we thank you for this time together uh, to worship you uh, through song and even through now listening uh, to your word as it's explained and, and applied. And I pray that you would grant me grace tonight, Lord, to be an accurate um, interpreter and, 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 and uh, explainer, expositor of your word. And Lord, that this would be more than just a, an opportunity to grow in our knowledge of another text of scripture, but that this text would have its intended impact, Lord, on our hearts and our lives, that we would leave here different than when we came in and that you would grant us grace to to share this heartbeat, or we want to have this heartbeat. We need to have this heartbeat of Jesus and ultimately of you. And so help us, we pray tonight, uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, throughout church history, there have been those who have stood out above the rest as having an intense, burning passion to reach lost people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, some people you probably have heard of before, D.L. Moody, 
who was a famous evangelist, uh, ministered in the Chicago area. He said this, quote, I see the world as a sinking ship. People are trapped, destined for doom. God gave me a lifeboat and said, Moody, save all you can. What a compelling image there. David Brainerd, who was a missionary to the American Indians on the East Coast uh, during the really American Revolutionary Era, he said this, I cared not where or how I lived or what hardships I went through so that I could but gain souls for Christ. And he literally killed himself trying to win the Indians to Christ. He would, uh, was extremely hard on his body, uh, would sleep out in the middle of the woods in the, in the dead of winter without any blankets, without any shelter. And uh, he died, I think, at the age of 28 or 29 of tuberculosis uh, just because he burned himself out for the gospel. William Booth, the, the founder of the Salvation Army, you all familiar with the Salvation Army, the little people ringing the bells with the red kettles on Christmas time? Well, that started as a Christian organization by a very passionate man by the name of William Booth. And this is what he said, probably the most famous quote of his. Some people want to live within the sound of chapel bells, but I want to run a mission a yard from the gate of hell. Love that heart. John Knox, the Scottish reformer, simply said, give me Scotland or I'll die. You ever thought about that? Give me Montgomery High School or I'll die. Give me Montgomery Junior High School or I'll die. Give me, give me this neighborhood. Give me Walden or I'll die. Give me April Sound or I'll die. Give me the city of Montgomery or I'll die. That's, that's what he was saying. He, he said, I want this whole country to come to know Christ. George Whitfield, a, a great preacher, maybe one of the greatest preachers who ever lived, he was the one responsible in many ways for the second great awakening on both uh, in Europe and in, in New England. Um, he just said this. He said, oh Lord, give me souls or take my soul. I was reading a biography of his um, on the way over to South Africa on the plane and it was called uh, George Whitfield or it was, it was, excuse me, it was called The Evangelistic Zeal of George Whitfield. And by the end of the first chapter, I'm crying, 35,000 feet in the air going, when, when, when I got to the point where he died, it was just a quick, first chapter, just a quick overview of his life and, and I got to the point of just, he, when he died, I, I just, I, I was sad this is an amazing man with, with great zeal and passion for the gospel and for reaching lost people. And, and what, a, what a life. And I was just so moved by reading the account of his life, George Whitfield. Give me souls or take my soul. And then, of course, we would be remiss if we didn't mention the Apostle Paul. Romans chapter 9, verse 2, Paul said the most amazing thing. He said, I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart, for I wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites. He was expressing his burden for his fellow Jews, who he knew were lost. They had, they had crucified the Messiah. And Paul actually said that I wished that I myself were eternally damned to hell. If I could just have my fellow brethren, my fellow Jews know Christ. Has it ever got that passionate for you that you're like, you know what? 
I'd be willing to go to hell if my parent, my daughter, my son, my neighbor, my classmate, my coworker could go to heaven. That's radical. These are the words of broken, driven men. They were broken with a compassion for the lost, and they were driven by a passion to reach the lost. And they all followed in the footsteps of another broken and driven man, and that is their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it was Jesus who said the main reason why he came to this earth was to seek and what? Save the lost. To seek and to save the lost. And so Jesus had a great compassion for the lost and an even greater passion to reach the lost. And while he was on earth, he sought to pass that compassion and passion on to his followers. And the the passage that we probably are most familiar with uh, in this regard is is the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. And you don't need to turn there because you know it well. You probably have it memorized. And Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so here before returning to heaven, Jesus gave the final orders to his disciples to carry on his mission to seek and to save the lost. Now, back in Matthew 9, the passage we're going to look at tonight is when Jesus gave his first orders to his disciples to join him in the mission to seek and save the lost. So we got the bookends here. We've got the great commission and what I would like to call the great compassion. And that really bookends Jesus' life and ministry, the great compassion and the great commission. Now, this passage here in Matthew 9 uh, marks a a major transition in the ministry of Jesus. Uh, Jesus had been performing all sorts of miracles uh, in order to prove his divine authority and his divine power. And you just can look back at chapters 8 and 9, for example, and he's cleansing the leper and he's uh, uh, healing uh, Peter's mother-in-law and many other people are healed. He's casting out demons. He heals the paralytic. Um, uh, he, he, he does all these miracles of healing, and, and we get to verse 35. Notice Matthew 9, verse 35. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and teaching every, or excuse me, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And so up until this point, the disciples were really just spectators. They, they, they were following Jesus around, watching him do the work of the ministry. He, he was working all alone in the massive harvest of souls. And after all he had seen and, and experienced, his heart was out, about to burst. That's, that's the idea here. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching and just wearing himself out, proclaiming the gospel, healing all kinds of diseases, every kind of sickness. And it's time now to get the disciples in the harvest, to get them out of the stands and into the game. Uh, You probably all all have heard of the name Howard Hendricks. He was probably one of the most beloved profs in, in the history of Dallas Theological Seminary. And one of his classic quotes is this. He said, the church is like a football game. There's 22 men on the field badly in need of rest and 22,000 people in the stands badly in need of exercise. 
And that's a good description of the church. That, that's a good description of what was going on here, that, that you got one man doing the work of 12, and you got 12 guys just kind of riding along watching this whole thing go down. Well, obviously, this was all part of God's plan. And so now, in order to motivate his disciples to come and work alongside him in harvesting souls, he shares with them his passion for the lost and his plan to reach the lost. And so in these verses, we see in verses 36, 37, and 38, we see what Christ's heart was broken by and what his heart was driven by. And my prayer is that as we look at this passage tonight, that our hearts would be broken by and driven by the same things that broke and drove Christ, that we'd have the same passion to seek and to save the lost like Jesus did. And so we're just going to break this passage down into two sections. Number one, we're going to see Jesus' passion to reach the lost, and then we're going to see Jesus' plan to reach the lost. So let's look, first of all, at Jesus' passion to reach the lost. And, and it begins with compassion. Okay, that's the word, compassion. Look at verse 36. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. That word compassion there is the word in the Greek, splachna. It's kind of a funny word. Kind of sounds like something inside you, doesn't it? Like a spleen or a splah, whatever's in there, right? Splah. It, 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 literally, it means your intestines, your bowels. That's what that word compassion means. The term is used in the Old Testament to describe the deepest part of a person. It's the, the depth of their emotions. The, it's the responder. It's the reactor part of us. It's, it's our heart is what he's talking about. And in other words, Jesus responded to all that he saw and all that he experienced with Splachna, with, with pity, his heart was just overwhelmed with grief and, and, and his natural reaction was to want to help them. And, and just look at a couple of examples. Matthew 14, 14. When he went ashore, this is Jesus, he saw a large crowd and felt, what? Compassion for them and he healed their sick. Chapter 15, verse 32 And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the people because they've remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat and I do not want to send them away hungry for they might faint on the way. This was the feeding of the the 4,000. And then uh, jump over to Luke for a second. Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, verse 41. This is the triumphal entry. And this is not what you probably ever saw in the flannel graph lesson in Sunday school growing up. I, I never saw this image of Christ riding into Jerusalem on the donkey, but notice Luke 19, verse 41, it says, when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and what? And wept over it. I mean, what a compelling image. In fact, there's an actual church, a little chapel on the slope of the the Mount of Olives called the Teardrop Church, where they they, they think that that's about where Jesus was as he was going down the Mount of Olives into the city of Jerusalem where he wept over the city. And it's a very compelling image. You sit there right out in front of it and you can look, you have this breathtaking picture of the city and it's, it's, the, the imagery is rich to think about how he wept over the city. Well, why, why, did, why did his heart break so? Well, what moved him to tears? Back in Matthew 
9 verse 36, it says he felt compassion for them because, here's the reason, because they were, what, distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. That word distressed means literally flayed or skinned. They were slaughtered like 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 slaughtered sheep. They were harassed. They were troubled. They were battered. They were bruised. And it says they were they were dispirited or or literally downcast. The, the, the imagery here is that they were just thrown down flat on their face, like they were just drunk, drunk cold. Boom, passed out cold, uh, or or just they they had uh, taken a mortal wound and they just they're down. But the, I think the image here is that they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a, what? Shepherd. They had no one to lead them, no one to protect them, feed them, care for them, watch over them. They, they were wandering aimlessly, and, and Christ saw people as lost sheep heading to the slaughter. Some of you I know have grown up on ranches and Places where you know all about the slaughter and what that looks like. And, and so he saw this, a very vivid imagery. You see, he saw, saw people as lost sheep heading to slaughter. And listen, from what I know, animals don't have a clue what's happening. You open the gate and they go through and they have no clue what's at the end. Jesus said that's what people are like. They have, they have, they're clueless. They're just, they're just going down little... Little alleys and gates are open. They go down here and then they go down here and they go down here. They have no idea where they're headed, that they're headed to hell. And so Jesus looked past all the fronts and the facades, all the designer clothes and the nice houses and cars, and he he looked past all that stuff and he saw people for who they really were and where they were going. He saw people as helplessly lost in sin and hopelessly bound for hell. I heard a song years ago that goes like this. It's called Looking Through His Eyes. It goes like this. Let me see this world, dear Lord, as though I were looking through your eyes, a world of men who don't want you, Lord, but a world for which you died. Let me kneel with you in the garden, blur my eyes with tears of agony, for of once... I could see this world the way you see. I just know I'd serve you more faithfully. Let me see the world, dear Lord, through your eyes. When men mocked your holy name, when they beat you and spat upon you, Lord, let me love them as you love them just the same. Let me stand high above my petty problems and grieve for men hell-bound eternally. For if once I could see this world the way you see, I just know I'd serve you more faithfully. Do you see that first word in this verse? What is it? Seeing. Seeing the people. I'll never forget one of my first trips to the country of India. And uh, I mean, talk about culture shock. And man, it was just like, whoa. I I, I did. I I purposely skipped the class on culture shock when they were training us to go on the mission, to go on the short-term mission trip, I thought, that's stupid. Who needs, what's culture shock? You know what's culture shock? I got better things to do. I, I specifically skipped that class. And when I landed in India and I walked into the airport and I got hit with that of humidity and smells I'd never smelled before, and, and I was just like, get me on the plane. Where, where's the next plane out of here? I was like looking for the, 
How do I get on the next plane? Right? I mean, it was just like, I was blown away. So I was really, talk about petty, my petty problems. I was just like, I couldn't get past myself that whole first time when I was there. I mean, it was, I was just being really sinful in my attitude, my actions. I was like, I hate this place. And, and I never want to come back here ever again. And um, uh, two, two incidences I'll never forget. One was I was sitting on the bed with Tom Shuck, who was one of our missionaries at the time that we supported before he came back here to the States, the pastor. And he, we're sitting there in this, in this dilapidated apartment that literally was half finished. This apartment looked like it had been just you know, half bombed out. They just never finished it. And he lived in half of this apartment. And, uh, and so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, Tom, I mean, I'm just like struggling. I'm sweating. It's nasty. I'm hearing all these weird things, smells, sounds, everything. And, and I'm like, Tom, how do you do this? And he's like, Ken, you know what? I don't care if there's poop on the street. This is what he said, quote, I don't care if there's poop on the street. These people are going to hell. And they need Jesus. I was just like, okay, I want to crawl in a hole and die, you know, like. <laughs> and then I'll never forget riding on the back of a scooter with Chris Williams, Sammy's dad. Some of you guys know Chris. He's been here before. And we were just driving through town, and, and I was holding on to the back, you know, and just hanging on for dear life. And there's just fumes, you know. Talk about, uh, you know, Houston has a uh, smog problem. They don't have a smog problem, trust me. I mean, this is the freshest air in the world compared to what's, what's happening in India, right? So I'm there, and I'm coughing and choking, and I'm riding on, and, and there's just like chaos, and there's people everywhere, and there's just like millions and billions of people everywhere, and I'm like, man, this is like, uh, I'm feeling claustrophobic, and we're just driving through town, and all this noise, and I'm like, what in the world? These people, get off your horns. What's your problem? You know, I was, again, I was having a hard time getting past myself, and we pull up to a stop in this intersection, Four-way intersection, and it was just jam-packed, bumper to bumper, like it was some race that everybody was ready to, you know, everybody was revving at the thing, ready to go. And I'm just like, man, this is so crazy. And, and, and I'll never forget, Chris turned back to me and, and yelled because it was so loud. He said, Ken, look around this intersection. He said, probably everyone in this intersection is going to go to hell someday. I mean, here's a missionary, right, uh, and, and, and then a man raised there, a pastor, and, and they saw what I was missing. They, they were seeing what Jesus saw. The question is, do you see what Jesus sees? Do you feel what Jesus feels? John 4, you know this story well. The, the woman at the well, a great example of evangelism, a heart for the lost. And you know the story. They, they go to Samaria and uh, they stop at a well and the disciples go off to get some groceries in town and, and Jesus is there by the well and here comes a woman and, and uh, he knows all about her. And she was not a good woman. Okay? She'd been married multiple times, uh, very immoral lifestyle, just wicked background. And uh, he asks her for a drink, and he has this conversation with her. And, and, um, and, and as you know, she, she comes to, God opens her eyes and, and lets her see, hey, this is the Messiah. This is the one we've been waiting for. And, uh, and, and so we know that she takes off, right, and, and goes back to town uh, to, to tell everybody. But, but notice John 4, verse 27. 
At this point, his disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? So again, this is so like us, right? We, we, we get all wrapped around the axle about things that don't matter. Oh, well, well you, you're talking to a woman. What are you, who's you talking to the woman about? You know? It was all about, hey, wait a minute, that's not right. You're not supposed to be talking to the woman, and she, she's a Samaritan woman. You shouldn't be talking to a Samaritan, and now she's a woman, and, and what are people going to think of you, Jesus? And they're, they're worried about all the wrong things. And they didn't even ask him, well, what are you talking about? That wasn't the issue. It was like, he was talking to a Samaritan woman. What were we talking about? They'd never even thought about asking that question. Verse 28, so the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come, see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? And they went out of the city and were coming to him. So this is a, you just think about this. This woman drops her pot, runs back to the town, and she's running through the street saying, you won't believe what just happened to me. I, I think I met the Messiah. You guys got to come check this guy out. And it piques the interest of the entire town. And so the idea here is that it says they went out of the city and were coming to him. This is like not just a handful of folks. This is like the entire town is coming out to that well. Meanwhile, verse 31, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. In other words, again, what are they thinking about? Stupid stuff. (laughs) Like eating. Hey, we got these food. You need to eat something to eat. It's not, not sure. They, they care. They wanted Jesus to have something to eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. <laughs> I love this. So the disciples were saying to one another, well, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? I thought we were supposed to get the food. And well, how did he get food? And, you know, these guys are just so like, put the blinders on and let's talk about our happy meal, you know. And... Uh, so Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work... And then this is it. Notice, verse 35. Do you, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your, what? Eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, this, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. In other words, while you knuckleheads were running around the city trying to get groceries, okay, I was here working and I was laboring in the vineyard and guess what? Now you get to reap what I sowed. Look, 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 guys, get your head out of your Happy Meal and look. Look, look, they're coming. And I think the visual is the fields are wider. Look at this crowd of people that are ripe to be evangelized, ripe for the gospel. And they just didn't what? See it. It starts with just opening your eyes. And I joke about this, you know, last week about going to Walmart. It's always like my favorite illustration because it's right there and we all go there every day, like maybe three times a day we go there, you know. And you got all the things, you're worried about your wobbly wheel in your cart and get your eyes off your grocery list, Right? Because we're all like, okay, I got to get this, and I got that check, I got this. And you're like, and people are just going, instead of get your eyes up and look, you're, you're, you're pumping into souls that are on their way to hell in the produce section. Now, granted, if you all went to Walmart, if we all went to Walmart every time to, uh, to evangelize more than buy groceries, we'd never get anything else done in life, right? He was like, 
hey, mom, where are you? <laughs> I thought we were going to have supper at six. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, this is, I'm on my 10th person. I'm in the produce section. <laughs> I'm sharing the gospel 10 times already. I mean, you could do that if you wanted to, right? But uh, again, there's balance in all this. We just have to be sensitive to what the point is. Just get your eyes up and see and, and pray and look for opportunities. And it may not be... Um, an opportunity to share the gospel, the whole gospel. But man, you could be a great salt, salt or light there in just the way you interact with someone. How you can show them kindness. You can make a connection, whatever. So we're looking at his passion for the lost. So we see his compassion. Now let's look at his compulsion, okay? We've seen his compassion. Now let's look at his compulsion. Verse 37, back in Matthew chapter 9. Verse 37, then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, that's uh, what he just said in, in, in John 4. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And so you got a couple of things going on here. Under compulsion, you've got, first of all, the disheartening disproportion. The disheartening disproportion. Notice he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are what? What is he saying? There's way more fruit to be harvested than there are workers to harvest it. It's a disheartening disproportion. Things were way out of balance. There, there were plenty of distressed, downcast people who were headed like sheep to the slaughter, who needed to hear the gospel, but there's not enough people telling them. Like, a, like an orchard with just a, a ton of fruit that's just been ripened and, it's, and there's just, they, you can't pick it fast enough and so it's starting to rot and fall off the trees. And so this disheartening disproportion leads to the divine desperation. Notice the divine desperation. He says, therefore, verse 38, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. That, that word beseech is a strong word. That's not just, oh, you, you know, shoot up a little prayer from time to time. This is beseech, okay? This is like beg, plead with God to raise up and send out more workers into the harvest. A.B. Simpson, who was the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance, some of you may have heard of that church uh, denomination, uh, Christian Missionary Alliance, it said that a friend found him early one morning weeping in prayer as he clutched a globe. Can you imagine that? Just praying for world missions and you got a globe. You're just wrapped around your, you know, you're just crying over that globe. The question is why did Jesus tell his disciples to pray this prayer? Why did he say, hey guys, look, I mean, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, I'm talking to you guys, beseech the Lord of the harvest, pray that God would send out workers into his harvest. What was he doing? He was setting them up, is what he was doing. Little did they know that they were going to be an answer to their own prayers. Why? Because it's not enough just to pray. It's not like, okay, the message tonight is go home and let's just pray for world missions. That's not the point of this. That's part of it, right? Prayer's a part of it. But anyone who genuinely and sincerely prays for God to send workers into the fields, 
Something's going to happen in that person's heart. And there's going to be a, a, a softening and a willingness to be a part of the solution. It's, it's said that Martin Luther had a buddy, friend, who agreed to be his prayer partner. And, and they agreed that, okay, Martin Luther says, hey, I'll go. I'll be the guy out there doing the, doing the thing. I'll be out there preaching and leading this uh, reformation. And you stay here in your closet and you pray. You be the prayer power. I'll be the voice. And, uh, and over time, as that guy was in his closet praying for Martin Luther in the Reformation and the harvest out there, guess what? He came to Martin Luther and said, hey, man, I'm, out, I'm not staying in this closet. I can't stay in this closet anymore. I'm, I'm coming with you, man. Why? Because you can't just pray about that without feeling compelled to go yourself. And so in essence, what Jesus was saying here is, hey, listen, you, you've been watching and praying long enough. It's time for you to get involved in the work. And guess what? They were his plan to reach the lost. He, he was sharing his passion with them. Why? Because they were his plan. In order for them to fulfill his plan, they had to have his passion. And so notice the second thing here. We, we saw Christ's passion to reach the lost. Now let's look at his plan to reach the lost. Don't miss this because there's a chapter break there. Forget that. Just keep reading. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Does that sound familiar? That's exactly what he was doing in verse 35. Right? He was going around and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness, and now he's giving them authority to do the same thing. And then I love this verse too. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. The first Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. And guess what? Just add your name to that list. Chris, John, Billy, Sarah, Julie. You, you, you fill your name in. It's right there. You're, you're part of God's plan. You see the flow there? I mean, it's brilliant. The way Jesus was passing on this passion because they were his plan. Now, the question is, how do, you win, how do you win the world to Christ? How do we win the world to Christ? I mean, if you had a message so great that you wanted the entire world to, to hear it, that this would change their life, it would change the world, what would be the best way to go about communicating to over 6 billion or maybe even 7 billion nowadays uh, people on planet Earth? How would you go about doing that? What would be your plan? You say, hey, I'm, I'm going to get on the radio and I'm going to do some commercials. I'm going to do it on TV. I'm going to do it through text. I'm going to do the internet. That's it. It's the internet. World Wide Web, right? I'm going to get on Facebook. I'm going to tell everybody on Facebook. I'm going to Twitter. I'm going to tweet it out. I'm going to Instagram. Right? All these things you think that's how to get the, the, the message out. But guess what? 
I don't think any of us would consider getting together a small group of guys and telling the message and then sending them out to tell the rest of the world. I mean, even this group, a size this a group this size. Hey, guys, hey, this is us. This is the message. Now let's get out and tell the world. You're like, Ken, you got a problem with your brain, man? What are you smoking, man? Because there's all 6 billion people and there's what? 150 of us? That's impossible. And, and, and to those of us who live in a computer age when, you know, where, where you got media technology and it's the global village and that seems like a silly simplistic, even stupid plan to communicate a message to the entire world. I mean, it's way too much work, way too much time. Besides, people tend to be, what? Unreliable. And it would be highly unlikely for it to work effectively. And yet, this is the plan that Jesus used to communicate the gospel to the entire world. This is the same method and strategy that Jesus is still using today to share the message of salvation with everyone in the world. It's you. It's me. It's all of us. And you think about the fact that Jesus had all the power in the universe at his command He could have done anything he wanted to to reach lost people with the message of salvation. I mean, there could have been, God could have ordained angels just flying around all the time, just just preaching the gospel. It's going to happen in the book of Revelation. There's going to be angels in the heavens proclaiming the gospel during the the tribulation. He could have done that. You're like, that'd be sweet. We wouldn't have to do anything. We just kick back here and do kids camp and let the angels do all the hard work, you know, the heavy lifting. You know, he could have had... I mean, I'm, I don't want to be silly here, but he could have had like clouds like spelling out the gospel and God, man, Jesus, you. And he could have and be like, whoa, what's that mean? And right, he could have done that kind of stuff. He could, have, he could have grown trees with speakers that are just constantly preaching the gospel. I mean, he could have done any of those things that he wanted to, but he didn't. He says, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples. That was his plan. And what may appear to us as a very slow, tedious, ineffective process has turned out to be very effective because over 2,000 years later, guess what? Here we are, sitting here at Lakeside Bible Church as born-again believers studying God's Word and talking about being part of this uh, relay race that we got handed the baton and now it's our turn to go hand it off to someone else. Did it work? Are you here? Yeah, so it's going to continue to work for the people that aren't here. And so what, what, what Jesus utilized really is the process of multiplication. The process of multiplication. And, and really, the secret behind the process of multiplication is reproduction. Reproduction. Jesus' plan was to reproduce his life into 12 men who would reproduce their lives into the lives of others, who would reproduce their lives in the lives of others, and et cetera, and et cetera, until, guess what? We'd be sitting here tonight. So Jesus prayerfully, carefully selected a few 
men who he could pour his life into and, and so they could carry on his work of harvesting souls after he went back to heaven. And that required that he spend a lot of time training and equipping these guys. And in fact, Jesus spent the majority of his time on earth preparing men rather than preaching to the masses. And he concentrated his efforts on a few people, not, not to the neglect of the rest of the people, but in order to reach the rest of the people. The disciples were a means to a, a greater end. And so Jesus impressed on them the need to reach the lost. He imparted his passion to reach the lost. He demonstrated how to reach the lost. He empowered them to reach the lost. He supervised them while they practiced, if you will, reaching the lost. And finally, he commissioned them to reach the lost. He said, okay, guys, you're ready, go. Go and make disciples of all nations. And after he returned to heaven, you know, 40 days later, he sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost to empower them to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the uttermost part of the earth. And they not only reached people for Christ, but they also taught them how to reach others for Christ. They didn't just baptize people, they also taught them to observe all that I've commanded you, right? And so as they stayed faithful to this principle of reproduction, if you will, it was only a matter of time before the process of multiplication kicked in and it didn't take long at all for the entire world to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. What did the book of Acts say? about those disciples. They turned the city of Jerusalem upside down? No, they turned the world upside down. Let me, let me just give you a, a quick example of how this works, okay? Gerald, come on up here. I need you to be my lovely assistant here for a second. I need you. And then uh, how about we get uh, Tim Kemra? You come up here too. All right, and I just want I want to I want to visualize this process of reproduction and multiplication. Okay, so what what these guys are going to do? They're going to be faithful disciples. Okay, and they're going to go out and they're going to share the gospel with you and are going to win you guys to Christ. All right, so I want you to go out and 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 not share the gospel. Go pretend you're sharing the gospel and bring somebody back with you. Okay, so go go find somebody. You do the same thing. Go find somebody. Lead somebody to Christ. Bring him back up here. Oh, that's good, man. I, th- I was concerned for him. He needs to come to Christ. That guy right there. All right. Great. Excellent. All right. So, you guys, that was fun, wasn't it? Leading someone to Christ. Look at this. This is exciting, huh? People are coming to Christ. Wow. Okay, now, now Gerald, you, because you trained uh, this young lady, right, to share the gospel. You didn't just win her to Christ. You, you taught her how to share the gospel. That Deidre knows how to do that as well. So both of you guys go out and bring someone back. Okay? Someone that needs the Lord. And Tim, no, no, no. You didn't do a good job with this guy. Oh, so man. just go get another guy. Just <laughs> go leave somebody else for Christ. Sorry, man. You're good. Just stay right here. You're doing good. All right. Look what we got. All right. So this is good, man. Look at People are coming to know the Lord. This is exciting. All right? Now, again... You guys have been training one another. What does it mean to share the gospel? And hey, we're not just about bringing people to Christ. We want to disciple people so they know how to reproduce themselves and other people. So all you guys go and win someone to Christ and bring them back. And, and Tim? Yeah, I know. Yeah. 
you're, you're doing your thing. All right. Everybody, just, just quick, just grab them, okay? Just grab and bring them. Look at Mama just led her daughter to the Lord. I love that. That's so sweet. All right. This is good. Exciting. Here, look at all these people that are coming to know the Lord. And so, again, um, let's do that thing. You know, you go and win someone to Christ him because you are an evangelist, man. You are a, a one-man evangelist. And guess what? All you guys have been trained and equipped. You're all faithful to share the gospel. And so you guys go and, and, and bring somebody back to Christ. Go ahead. Grab somebody. I got you got yours. There you go. You're doing a good job, Tim. Okay, you're doing a good job, Tim. I'm a lazy evangelist. I'm just kidding. <laughs> all right, look at this. Okay, look at all these people that are... All right, let's see. I think we maybe got, we got, we got time for one more here, okay? Time for one. They're just jumping out of their chairs and coming up over here. They're not even being asked. They're like, I want to be a part of that. Okay, so, hey, Tim, do your thing because you're so good at it, okay? And then guess what? All you guys have been trained and equipped to share the gospel, so go win somebody to Christ and bring them back. Here, you guys move over this way. They need more room. They're, they're going to need more room. <laughs> oh. Good job, Cannon. Hey, now, hey, praise God people are getting saved over here, right? This is a good thing. We're, we're very grateful for that. But wouldn't you want to be a part of that right there? I mean, isn't that exciting? Look at that. Just, we're talking just five times, right? But this is, this is the process of multiplication. It's like, hey, Billy and I could, you know, and the staff and the elders, we could just be the guys out there winning people to Christ, right? And guess what? Our church is going to go grow slowly but surely kind of thing. But man, if everyone in the whole church is out there evangelizing the lost and winning people to Christ, this is what's going to happen right there. That's compelling. That's exciting. Good. You guys can sit down. Thank you. You know, we were talking about this this morning with, with, uh, with the elders that we praise God for every person that shows up at Lakeside Bible Church, that God sovereignly, providentially brings to our church. We pray that people will find our church, a like-minded church. People are looking. People are moving. That's just nature of life, right? So we are so grateful for uh, the new people that we get in our church and how our church has grown over the years, primarily through transfer growth. In other words, we're just getting people from other churches, which again, that's, that's fine because uh, people move from their church to a new community and they're looking for another like-minded church and I'm so grateful we're here to serve them in that regard. But how much... How much more exciting could it be if our church was growing by leaps and bounds because of conversion growth? You know what I'm talking about? And that's not to slide anybody who just came here from another church. I came here from another church, okay? So we all came here from another church to some degree, right? I mean, there's a handful of people in this church that got saved through the ministry of this church. And you're sitting here this, this evening, and you're so thankful and blessed because you are someone that was converted through the ministry of Lakeside Bible Church. But uh, we need to pray that that would happen more often. And the question is, how's that going to happen? Us having a huge evangelistic crusade, outreach, let's get a band to come, let's get crazy popular speakers to come in here, and we're going to invite everybody to come, and we're going to have a big shindig, a hootenanny, you know, whatever, for the gospel. And, and, and is that 
Is that what Jesus did? No, he said, hey, guess what, guys? I got a job for you. This is what I want you to do. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. I want you to have that same passion. Now get out there and do it. That's the plan. And, and you look at all the statistics of people that have been converted to Christ, the majority of people that come to Christ have come to Christ through a personal relationship with another believer. It wasn't at a big crusade. You know, God uses those things, okay? I've been a part of those things before. I've raised my hand, walked the aisle, signed the card, did all that kind of stuff, right? God uses those things, um, but, but what does he use most? He uses these one-on-one, this, hey, Gerald, go out and get your buddy. Talk to your coworker. Hey, Tim, go out and talk to your neighbor. Hey, you know, so, so, so grateful for the Ditels tonight. I, last time I checked, they only had two or three. How many kids? You, I, I lose track. You got three kids, but they had like 16 kids with them when they came. And I was like, Where, who are all these kids? They're like, these are our neighbors. These are our neighbor kids. I'm like, how cool is that? You know, they're just, they've been bringing them to kids camp all week, and they brought them tonight. And I mean, that, that's, that's how it happens. It's not event evangelism. It is lifestyle evangelism. And that's what this Salt of the Earth uh, series is, is, is all about. Can I just encourage you with this as well? When you look at the book of Acts and you see these guys just, just turning the world upside down, you're like, these guys were spiritual studs. Really? According to the, to the Jews, they were, they were really surprised. They were scratching their head going, what's up with these guys? Because Acts 4.13 says that they were not educated or learned men. They were kind of like, well, what's up with these fishermen and tax collectors and just normal, normal Joes, if you will, normal guys. They weren't anything special. They were not educated. They weren't learned men. But God was using them to turn the world upside down. And sometimes you think, well, I, man, I, I haven't been to Bible college. I haven't been to seminary. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of new. I'm a, I'm a young believer. I don't, I don't know how to share the gospel. What, what do I have to share? Listen, if you... If you are saved, if you're a Christian, that means you understand the gospel. Because you couldn't be saved if you didn't understand the gospel. So listen, if you are saved, that means you understand the gospel. And if you understand the gospel, you can share it with someone else. And you can help someone else understand it. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. Don't have to go to Bible college and seminary for 16 years and get some degree on your wall to say, okay, now I'm ready. No, listen, if you're saved, you're ready. You're ready. Why? Because changed people are Jesus' plan to change the world. Changed people are Jesus' plan to change the world. And you say, well, how does that happen? Well, that verse, interesting, and it's really more of a reading into it. I'll admit that. Acts 4.13, it says they were not educated or learned men, but it says these men that had been with Jesus. They'd been with Jesus. Now, I think that literally meant they had, oh yeah, I remember seeing those guys with Jesus. But spiritually speaking, how do we become useful to the kingdom? We spend time with Jesus. We be with Jesus. And as we spend time with Jesus, our lives are transformed. And as a result, God can use us to transform the world. There's a classic book called The Master Plan of Evangelism. 
by Robert Coleman. Anybody read that book ever? It's a, it's a classic little book. I encourage you to read it if you haven't. And uh, he, he explains Jesus' plan to reach the lost. And this is what he said, quote, what we need is not better methods, but better men. And we would add women here because we're talking in a mixed audience here. Men or women who know their Redeemer from something more than hearsay. Men and women who see his vision and feel his passion for the world. Men and women who are willing to be nothing in order that he might be everything. Men and women who want only for Christ to produce his life in and through them according to his own good pleasure. That's what Jesus is looking for. He's looking for those men and women who he can transform and use to transform the world. Coleman has this story in the Master Plan of Evangelism. It's a hypothetical story, but I like it. It's this, there's an old story where someone imagined Jesus returning to heaven and meeting the archangel Gabriel. Gabriel was very interested to know what the Lord had been doing on earth, and Jesus explained how he had died on the cross to save men from their sins and had been raised back to life by God's power. He had returned to heaven to sit at God's right hand and intercede for those he had gone to earth to save. He concluded by telling him how he wanted the entire world to hear what he had done for them. And Gabriel said, well, what's your plan for accomplishing this? And Jesus said, I've left the message in the hands of a dozen men, and I'm trusting them to spread it everywhere. Surprised, Gabriel explained, well, 12 men? What if they fail? And Jesus responded, I have no other plan. I have no other plan. Guess what? We're his plan. We're his plan. There's another man who stood out in church history as having an, an intense passion for lost people. His, his name is Horatius Bonar. And he wrote a little book, another classic book I'd encourage you to get if you can. It's just a short little book called Words to Winners of Souls. Perfect title, right, for our series, Salt, Salt of the Earth, Words to Winners of Souls. And this is what Horatius Bonar says. He said, the fields are vast, the grain whitens, the harvest waves, and through grace we shall go forth with our, with, with our sickles, never to rest till we shall lie down where the Lamb himself shall lead us by the living fountains of waters, where God shall wipe off the sweat of toil from our weary foreheads and dry up all the tears of earth from our weeping eyes. Some of us are young and fresh. Many days may yet be in the providence of God before us. These must be days of strenuous, ceaseless persevering. And if God bless us, successful toil, we shall labor till we're worn out and laid to rest. That's why we're here to wear out for the cause of the gospel until we're laid to rest. And we get to heaven and he says what? Well done, good and faithful servant. Father, we're thankful for this simple text that reveals so much about your heart 
and the heart of your son, Jesus, who came to seek and to save that which was lost. And Lord, we confess that, that we are um, too much about so many other things besides that. So we would ask that you would make that our one passion, our one consuming passion to seek and to save the lost. And that we would start with our family members, people in our own home, the people next door, at the end of the cul-de-sac, in our subdivision, in our community, Father, at our schools, at our workplaces. And Lord, that you would also give us the privilege to extend our witness around the world. Thank you for this large group of people who this summer are going to be going to Honduras and Albania. Lord, what a, what a great blessing that that is for us to be able to be a part of your great kingdom work, your great harvest around the world. But Lord, we know that the light that shines the farthest should shine the brightest at home. And I pray that you would make us brighter as a church, Lord, that we would not um, be that salt in, in the salt shaker that never gets out into the world, that we wouldn't be that light under the, under the basket, Lord, but we would uh, be a bright light set on a hill. And so, Lord, just give us a, a burden for the lost. We pray that you would raise up harvesters to reach lost people here in Montgomery and, and around the world. And Lord, I pray that, that we'd be faithful to be one of those harvesters, each one of us. Help us to see people like, like you see them, make us broken with compassion, cause us to be driven by a passion like these men we've been reminded of in church history. But ultimately, Lord, I pray that you just grant us a passion for Christ and we know when we have a passion for him, we'll have a passion to, tell, to share him with others. And so may it start there. We pray for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.